right, let's take our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 24. And as we do that, we are looking at the second to last passage in our series on the God of Abraham. Last week we watched as, as Abraham laid his wife to rest in the cave of Machpelah. And he claimed that land, you remember, for him, for, for his descendants after him by faith. He said, this is where we will dwell, because this is what God has said. And this morning we're going to watch as Abraham seeks to properly pass on his faith to the next generation. And he does it in this passage by securing a wife for his son Isaac. If you were to ask um, Andrea how she and I met, she's not in here now, but if you were to ask her how she and I met, she might respond um, at my best friend's wedding. Uh, because that's where we met. We met at her best friend's met wedding. She was the maid of honor in this wedding. It was in her hometown in Galesburg, Illinois. I was one of the groomsmen. I had met a, a guy at Moody Bible Institute in my first year there, and he had asked uh, me to be in the wedding to stand up as a groomsman. So that weekend, Andrew and I met. Uh, we talked for maybe 10 minutes. That's probably being generous. Uh, we didn't talk very much. She caught my eye, I will admit that, and there was kind of some mutual interest there. But I, I didn't have any any hope of seeing this girl again, and I, I'm just not the type of person that's going to take a risk in that way, maybe. Um, so I didn't apply much effort. But God had different plans, and our friends, uh, Dan and Heather, identified kind of this mutual interest, and they started to play a bit of matchmaker, and uh, she would come to visit them and we would hang out, and I would go to visit some friends at her college, and we would end up hanging out. And after a lot of emails and phone calls and driving, we eventually were married. And so that's how we met. That's to make a long story short, I guess. Uh, here in Genesis 24, it's not Isaac's friends, actually, that are playing matchmaker, but it is his dad. Uh, it's his father, and actually involves his, his, his father involves his, his most trusted servant, but ultimately what we see in this passage, it's actually, it's not Abraham, it's not Abraham's servant, but it's God. God is orchestrating these, these events, and he is orchestrating the events that will lead to the eventual marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. God's sovereign hand is clear throughout this story. He's preserving the line of blessing. He's preparing the way for Abraham's servant. He's even picking it for Isaac, the perfect bride. The text, This text, Genesis 24, is a clear statement that God providentially leads his children because of his steadfast love for them. I think that's the point. God providentially leads his children because of his steadfast love for them. Providence. Providence is, is God's, basically I would define it simply as God's hand in everything. That God is controlling all the events of our lives. And in this passage we see that he is providentially controlling all that is happening in providing a wife for Isaac I would say, too, for us, no matter how haphazard or disconnected our lives may seem, God is in control. God is in control. He's orchestrating. He's using all things. And if we are his children, he has steadfast love for us. His hand is guiding us. His hand even brought us here this morning to hear this message from this text. We can trust that, that we are supposed to be here. Um, we're going to read Genesis 24. The text divides nicely into four Parts and you'll see those four sections listed actually in the notes part of your um, of your bulletin. Um, and I just kind of marked them out by some key words in the passage. It's a long passage. This is the longest uh, chapter 
in the book of Genesis. I'm tempted to divide up the reading, but I don't really want to break up the flow of the story. And so we're going to read this passage together. And I have enlisted the help of Trevor this morning, since it is a very long passage, and I'll save my voice a little bit. And so Trevor's going to come and uh, read Genesis 24, and then we'll continue to look at it. So thank you, brother. <laughs> All right, let's give attention to this amazing passage, Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, Please, place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you shall go to my country, to my relatives, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Abraham said to him, Beware lest you take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things from, of his masters in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let me let down your, draw, your jars that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. And it came about before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Then it came about when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels in gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, 
I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she said to him, We have plenty of straw and feed, and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran outside to the man of the spring. And it came about when he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebekah his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me, he went to the man. Behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house. Then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. And he's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my relatives and from my father's house. And then you shall be free from my oath when you come to my father's, to my relatives, if they do not give her to you. You will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring, and I said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now thou wilt make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring. And may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she will say to me, You drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder, went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, Please let me drink. And she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him, and I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my father, my master Abraham, who guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the, or the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. 
and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord had spoken. And it came about when Abraham's servant heard their words that he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. And the servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he said to the men who were with him, Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they rose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the girl stay with us a few days. Say ten. Afterwards she may go. And he said, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the girl and consult her wishes. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to you, May you, our sister, be become thousands of ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the men. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. And then she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother's Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Thanks, Trevor. Now you see why I had Trevor read. It's a fairly lengthy passage, isn't it? A wonderful, wonderful story. And again, we are continuing to think on this truth that God providentially leads his children because of his steadfast love for them. That's the emphasis in this, is God is leading the servant. He's leading, Abra he's leading Abraham and his servant. Let's look at this first section, verses 1 through 9. I just titled it, Swear by the Lord, um, these words that Abraham says to his servant. Verse 1 tells us that Abraham was old, well advanced in years, which we would say, yeah, he's been that way for a long time. Um, of course he is old. That seems to be the realm in which he's lived half of his life. But the emphasis here is seen especially in light of Sarah having just died in the chapter previous. And, and what it is telling us is that Abraham's life is coming to an end very soon. And so he has dealt with the death and the burial of his wife. Now he's faced with another responsibility in his waning years, that of securing a wife for his son Isaac, who is actually probably pushing 40 years old at this point. And so Abraham calls his oldest servant, his most trusted uh, friend of the family, who some actually say is Eliezer of Damascus. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but that's from chapter 15. You remember when Abraham goes and says, I don't have a son, could Eliezer of Damascus be my heir? He was the servant of the house, and that's a possibility. But Abraham tells this servant, whoever he is, he asks him to swear by the Lord that he will find a wife for Isaac. 
He tells the servant to place his hand under under his thigh to make this covenant. Now, that's not the type of covenant that we typically make today. We are content with shaking hands. Um, and but this was it, it was it would have signified this solemn oath. It would have been uh, and shown the the closeness of this relationship. Um, so he asks the servant to find Isaac a wife, but he is very clear about the woman that he wants. He says she's not to be from among the Canaanites. But she is to be from my country, from my kindred, from my family, my clan. And so at the what we what we didn't cover is back at the end of chapter twenty two, there's about five verses here. It begins now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor. Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us there, but it's a foreshadowing of showing that Nahor had children. That there were people for I, there were there were women for Isaac to marry, and actually Rebecca is pointed out in verse 23. She's she's singled out. Verse 23, Bethuel fathered Rebecca. There's this foreshadowing, this hope for Abraham that there will be a woman for Isaac to marry in this land and of his people. And so the the hope is that that God would provide a spouse for Isaac from this family unit and, and from the line of blessing. Now you think about the, the covenant that was made to Abraham back in chapter 12. Uh, Nahor is not part of that line of blessing, but he is part of the line of, of Shem. And all the way back you can think of Adam and Seth and Noah and this line of blessing that came down through. And so what Abraham is looking, his desire is to find a wife who will, who will want to be a part of this blessing that has been given to him. He wants to find a wife who will desire to join in with Isaac in carrying out the blessing that God has brought to this family. Um, his brother Nahor and, and his descendants would be a part of that. The Canaanites would obviously not be of that line, nor would they value this covenant in the same way. And so it would be, it might be something where the Canaanites would be willing to leave the land. Or they might introduce false gods into Isaac's worship. And so he says, no, you need to go to my people who will value what God has said to me. It's interesting to wonder, actually, because Genesis was probably read by the Israelites right before they were entering into the land of Canaan. And you might wonder about what they would think about this because of God's specific instruction that as they went into the land, they were not to marry any of the people of the land, any of the Canaanites because of the threat of their foreign gods that that would pose to Israel and to their worship of Yahweh. And so Father Abraham is showing this pattern of, of, um, of marrying within the line of blessing, that this is what we need to do. He's doing his part to pass on a devotion to an exclusive trust in the one true and the living God. Or as he calls him here, he calls him the God of heaven and of earth. But Abraham's servant brings up a possible snag in the plan. He says, okay, I'm going to go find this woman. What if she won't come? What if she says, no, I'm not going to go to that land? Because essentially what the servant is asking is exactly what God asked Abraham to do, to leave his country, to come to a land that she does not know. And the servant says, what if she won't do that, Abraham? So the servant offers up one possible solution. If she won't, should I bring Isaac up here, up to this land. And you can almost hear Abraham immediately respond and say, no, Isaac is not to leave this land, the land of promise. And in fact, Isaac never leaves 
the land of Canaan in his entire life. He was born in Canaan. He lives his whole life in Canaan. He dies in Canaan. And then he is buried in the cave of Machpelah in Canaan. He never leaves this land of blessing where he's supposed to be. So whatever happens, Isaac is not to marry outside of the line of blessing. And he's not to leave the land of Canaan. Those are the stipulations that, that Abraham makes here. I think it's good to, to do a little side application here. I don't think it's the main point. Again, I think the main point is the providential leading of God. But I think we should say something about parenting, about marriage here. There's something. There's some things for us to learn here. Abraham is showing as a good parent, a good parent here, how to pass on his faith to the next generation. He's doing everything that he can to guard his children, to guard Isaac, to help him from straying from the Lord. And so, as parents, that is our role to do everything that we can to guard our children from straying from the Lord. To do all that we can to place them in the path. A blessing where they will walk in the ways of God. We can't guarantee their faith. That's that's impossible. We are faithful and we do everything that we can. God is the one who who determines whether they will walk with Him or not. But we need to guard them. We need to guard them as Abraham does from false gods. We need to guard them from to to keep them into the faithful line of blessing. To release them when the time comes, so that they will walk with God. Even to guard over who they might marry. And to train them up in a way that says, you need to marry someone who has the same faith as you. I was encouraged this morning in Sunday school, Nana Evo, as we were sharing testimonies, was just sharing a testimony even about um, about her husband and how he was a Christian and how she had encouraged all her children to marry those that hold their faith dear because that is a place of blessing. And I think that's what Abraham is doing here. He's laying down the principle that we'll see in the New Testament that we should not be unequally yoked together. That we should not, that if two are opposed in the most core truth of their lives, how can they walk together? So there's something to be said both about parenting and also about marriage, that Isaac needs to find a wife who shares his core beliefs, who shares what is most important to him, so that they can walk together in life. Now there are oppositions to that. I've often heard it said that as people are looking for a husband or a wife, they might say, there are no good Christian women to marry. There are no good Christian men to marry. And that's almost the, the excuse that the servant brings up. What if she won't come? Abraham says, even if she won't come, don't compromise on what I'm telling you to do. You find someone. If she will not come, then I don't, I don't, want, I don't want Isaac leaving the land, and I don't want him marrying someone from the Canaanites. He just won't marry for now. I think that's something that we can learn from. Both Abraham's parenting and also this what marriage should look like. Again, it's not something that we can guarantee as parents, but it's something that we should lead our children in. However, the force of the passage, again, is this providential leading of God that flows from the Lord's steadfast love for Abraham. So in response to this threat, Abraham affirms his trust in God. Look at what he says here. Abraham says in verse 6, See to it that you do not take my son back there, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me. So he's recounting all that God has done. He swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. He's emphasizing, I believe that God will go ahead of you. God's angel will be sent before you to take you to the right person. At the, to the right place, at the right time, to find the right girl for Isaac. 
he has complete trust that that's what God is going to do. And so the servant takes the oath. Interestingly, these are the last words of Abraham in the book of Genesis. We don't see him speaking anymore. How appropriate it is that they are words of unwavering faith. That they are words of the words of a man who knew that God was in control of all things, that God was orchestrating all the details of his life for his glory and Abraham's good. This is the legacy of Abraham, isn't it? It's not the legacy of a perfect man, but it's the legacy of a man who was constantly growing in faith. And here in the last years of his life, he is saying, I believe fully that God will do what he said he will do, and you will find this wife. So that's that first section there, verses 1 through 9. We then look at the next section, this which we just titled, Lord, grant me success, the words of the servant, verses 10 through 28. The servant goes out, and, and I want you to not fall into the trap of thinking that the servant had read Genesis 24 before he left. Think about this man traveling this far north, looking for a woman, looking for this, this group of people that he had never met. He's, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. And, and will this girl even come back? Will this trip even be worth it? And so he goes off trusting, as Abraham had said, trusting in the words of Abraham, trusting in God. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he starts at the right place, doesn't he? It says there in verse 11 that he, um, that he made the camels to kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, and then he prays. He prays that God, the master of the God of my master Abraham, grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He prays and he and he he comes up with this way. If if this woman will come and she will give me a drink of water, not only will give me a drink of water, but will also then water my camels. Then this is the one. You know this idea of watering the camels. How many camels does he have? Ten. Ten camels. This is a lot of water over a long period of time. We're talking hours and a lot of jugs of water going down into the well, picking them up, pouring them out for the camels. Um, and so this is something unique that would happen, that this woman would, would do this. Um, not only would that show God's hand, but it would also show something about who Rebecca is, that she would be willing to do this, that she has a heart of a servant that is willing to serve others. And so he prays this prayer. I love what it says in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking. Have you ever prayed and gotten the answer before you finished speaking? I remember when Andrew and I were looking for an apartment. Um, or not an apartment. We were looking for somewhere to live when we were moving to Mokina. And we had exhausted all our options. We looked at houses and they were all out of our price range. We started looking at apartments and we just there was nothing that really fit. And I remember in Mokina, Illinois, driving north on Wolf Road. And I said, let's just pray, because we were at a loss. We didn't know what to do. And so I was praying in the car and just asking that God would provide a place for us. And in the middle of that prayer, I saw out of the corner of my eye this person on a third floor balcony putting up a poster that said, for sale or rent, and immediately pulled off the side of the road, wrote down the number, called them up. And long story short, we didn't end up renting. We actually ended up buying that place. Um, had a relationship with this the, the man, and we still own that. Um, <laughs> but it was just amazing. In the midst of that prayer, before I had finished the prayer, God had prepared that poster to be up there, which actually had to be taken down later because it was illegal or something. I don't know. But God put that sign up there for us 
in that moment to provide for us. And I, I think the same thing happens here, that the servant is praying and God answers the prayer before he even finishes the prayer. She comes, he asks her for the water, and then she voluntarily waters the camels. And you have to be thinking, what if this is the, that the servant is just shaking his head, saying, no way, I can't believe that this is happening so quickly, that the first woman that I meet is the one that, that seems to be possibly the answer to my prayer. He says that in verse 21, it says, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. He's not sure yet at this point. God has answered the prayer, but he's still wondering, I don't know, is this is this it? Is it really happened this quickly? Has God led me so clearly? And so the camels finished drinking. You can imagine um, what, what Rebecca is thinking about this man who's just sitting back watching her water his ten camels. <laughs> I'm sure that um, hopefully she was gracious, but I'd be wondering, why are you sitting there? Come and help me. Um, so the camels finish drinking, and the man takes out a gold ring, which we learn later is a nose ring, weighing half a shekel, and these two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. What you can see there are just maybe some dollar signs that this man has some money. Whoever Abraham is, he is, is wealthy. And then he asks this question. He says, tell me, whose daughter are you? And she responds, and the words maybe don't mean much to us, but they would have been amazing to him. She says, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. He has discovered this woman who is of the line of Abraham. And again, I think he just shakes his head and says, no way, I can't believe that this happened. Then it reminded me, actually, I was thinking about um, at the funeral this past Friday when Pastor Henry was sharing about meeting Dr. John and, and how they were in the basement and started slowly figuring out where they were from in the Philippines and narrowing it down, suddenly realizing that they were from the same hometown. And not only that, but then Dr. John shared um, who his brothers were. And, and Pastor Henry, you have to have him tell the story because he'll do it better than I did. But he says, are you the doctor? <laughs> what an amazing story that was to see how God had providentially brought these two men, born in the same town in the Philippines, that suddenly they meet in the basement of a little church in Louisville, Kentucky. And the purpose of that was for Pastor Henry, or I'm sorry, for Dr. John to hear the gospel and to come to faith in Christ, that God was providentially leading Dr. John through his whole life into his 80s, even though he had no idea. That's how our God works. What an amazing thing. And so when the servant hears um, that, that, this, that this woman is of the line of Nahor, I'm sure he just said, I cannot believe this. And what does he respond? He says in verse 26, it says, The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken, again, his steadfast love, his loving kindness, and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. It's an amazing story, isn't it? To see how God has, has brought this servant to meet Rebecca at the perfect time. You see some things we can learn from the way that, that he submits to God's will. He prays and he's seeking. He says, I'm going, that, that he's just foolish enough to think maybe if I pray that God will answer that prayer and bring this woman to me. But I think there's a principle there for us to learn that if we pray, God hears. And then when God responds, what does he do? He worships. He worships the Lord and says, God has brought this about. There's no other way that this would have happened except through God's hand. And I think that then we, what we learn from this is the confidence that we can have, that God leads us. 
that God has steadfast love and faithfulness towards us, and he guides us providentially on the path of life. Everything is working out according to his plan. The story goes on in the third section here, verses 29 through 60. The thing has come from the Lord, I think, is the kind of the key phrase that we might put here. Most of the chapter is taken up with retelling the story. The point of retelling the story is to emphasize God's providence. Why, why, doesn't, the, why doesn't the text just say, then the servant told Laban and his family all that had happened? No, it goes through and it says these are all the things that happened. And it's to emphasize that God was providentially guiding this servant in this whole ordeal. Verse 29, Rebecca, it says Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban is introduced. We're going to see Laban a little bit later in the book of Genesis, you remember, with Jacob, right? And Jacob, the schemer, and Laban, the schemer, are, are a pretty good match for each other as they try to outwit each other. And you kind of get a feel for who Laban is here, don't you? Look at the verse 29. It says that uh, her brother had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. Verse 30, as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, cha-ching, he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, oh, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? You can kind of see Laban scheming a little bit. What am I going to do with this? I mean, he's got some money here. What can I, how can I get, get something from him? But he is totally shut down here because of the faithfulness of the servant. The servant comes, and they offer him food, and he says, I will not take anything. I will not accept the hospitality until I tell you why I'm here and see if this is going to be successful. And then he tells the story again, emphasizing God's providence. And they get to the end, and in verse 49 he says, Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, again, that steadfast love, faithfulness that God had shown him, that he's asking that they would show him this as well, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Now Laban, who may have been hoping that he could scheme a little bit here, just says, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Sometimes some things are just obviously from the Lord, and you just say, I don't even know what to say. This is so clear that God has guided this entire process. And so he re they readily submit to it. I think that's what we do in life. If our eyes are open, at times we see this has to be from the Lord. This has to be God providentially leading. And when we see that, we say, we cannot argue. I need to do what God has called me to do in this moment. I need to submit to what God is, is doing here. I think about the early church in Acts. You remember there was this strife between the, the Greeks who were coming to the Lord and the Jewish believers. And you remember Paul and Barnabas talk about how they were preaching the gospel and people were coming to faith. And they tell the Jewish believers that. And what do they say? They say, we can't argue with this. This is obviously from the Lord. And so they received these um, non-Jewish believers into their fellowship. I think there are moments where we, where we say that. We say, this is obviously from the Lord. Of course, there's another threat here, though, to the success of the journey. They wake up the next day and the servant says, it's time to go. And Rebecca's coming with me. And they say, wait a minute, we just want to kind of, can she stay maybe 10, 10 days, probably to check this guy out, make sure it's for real. Um, maybe, again, Laban's got some ideas in his mind. But he says, um, 
Don't delay me. Verse, verse 56, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Again, emphasizing God has done this. Send me away that I may go to my master. And so they call Rebecca. And they say, let's see what she says. And Rebecca, we see her faith here. She says, I will go. Again, I think echoes of Abraham in chapter 12 where he's called to come out of his country into a land he does not know. Rebecca shows this attitude of faith, this attitude of submission to God's providence. She sees what's going on. She understands that God has led this. And so she says, I will go. So again, I think the, the application for us is that at times when we see God's hand clearly, we should readily submit. We should be like Laban was and say, this is from the Lord. How can we argue? We should be like Rebecca and say, this is from the Lord. Of course I will go. How can I argue with this? This is clearly from God. That that should be the attitude of our hearts. Then there's this continuation of the blessing. Verse 60, they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. That last phrase there, may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him, is a part of the covenant blessing that was added in Genesis 22. And so they are blessing Rebecca in a way that Abraham has been blessed. She is being brought into this line of blessing. God is preparing her to take the place of Sarah as the matriarch of this family, as the one who will pass on the faith to the generations to come. Verse 61 then tells us um, that she arose and left. So this third section, the thing has come from the Lord. We move to this last section. She became his wife and he loved her, which is actually the first statement of marital love in the Bible where it says here, verses 61 through 67. So they, they leave and verse 62 sets the scene beautifully. It says, now Isaac had returned from Be'er Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. So we get a sunset. At least in my mind, that's that's what it is. There's a sun setting in the background, and Isaac is out meditating. And he lifts up his eyes, and he sees some camels coming. And then it says that Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and she saw a man in the field. She got off her camel and asked, who is this? And the servant says, it's my, it's my servant, I'm mean, sorry, it's my master, Isaac. And it says that she took her veil and covered herself which is probably an indication that she was now giving herself to Isaac as a wife, that she is veiling herself uh, as, um, as his bride. And it says uh, that the servant comes together, and he tells Isaac all the things that he had done. We don't get him repeated a third time here, but again, just the emphasis. He's telling Isaac, God led me the whole way. He led me straight to this woman. It was beautiful. And so Isaac brings her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. In, in taking Rebekah into the tent of Sarah, again, she is taking the place as the female head of this family, as the matriarch. And again, Abraham is not mentioned. We don't see Abraham anywhere else in this passage. After verse 9, he's nowhere to be found. There's the transition going on here. Isaac and Rebecca are taking over. They are becoming the new head of this family that will pass on the blessing. But even though Abraham's nowhere to be found in this, I think in my mind's eye, if I'm if I'm filming the movie of Genesis chapter 24, this is what I do. You have you have the sunset, and you have this beautiful scene of Isaac and Rebecca coming together, 
and maybe you have a close-up on the two of them meeting for the first time. But then I think you just kind of slowly pan out as they're out in this valley, right? So you pull the camera back a little bit, and all of a sudden, we're looking at the back of Abraham. And Abraham may be standing on a hill looking over this whole thing. And I almost see him maybe with his arms raised in worship saying, I knew it. I knew that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. He had perfect confidence in God's providence. He trusted completely that God would do what he said he would do because God has pro- had proven his steadfast love to Abraham time after time. And he said, God will send his angel before. God will do what he said he will do. And then I think probably he was laughing, just laughing at, at the the beauty of God's steadfast love that he could hardly wrap his mind around, the beauty of God's providence in leading his servant to this woman who was the perfect wife for Isaac. There was never a doubt in his mind, and Abraham knew it, and he was passing this on to his son Isaac. And so we know God's steadfast love for us. And if I could just quote a verse that I've probably maybe overquoted in the past few weeks, but Romans 8.32 again says, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That if we know the steadfast love of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ, if God has given us Jesus as our Savior, then how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Abraham knew God's steadfast love. And so when the question came, what if she won't come? What if I can't find the right woman? Abraham said, you will. God is in control. He will guide you. He will lead you to the perfect place. We can have confidence in God because of his steadfast love for us. And we can have confidence that God has steadfast love for us because of the fact that he has given us his only son, Jesus. And so if you are a child of God, then you can walk with confidence. You can walk with the confidence that God is providentially leading you. God is guiding you every step of the way. I think we have the confidence of these words. This is the words of Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer. She wrote a, a, a hymn called All the Way My Savior Leads Me. She says, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, hereby faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well that's the confidence that we walk through life with knowing that jesus does all things well that his steadfast love is for us and that he will providentially lead us all the way so i pray that you would be encouraged in that be encouraged to pray because god hears and he will answer those prayers be encouraged to take bold steps to walk into a place you don't know and know that god will be with you and when you see his hand so clearly that you will submit readily to it that you will respond with worship that says only God could do this. And maybe even laughter, like I imagine Abraham, just amazed at God's steadfast love at his providential hand in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so grateful for this wonderful story. And it's not Abraham, it's not Abraham's servant, it's not Rebecca or Laban or anyone else that stands out to us. It's you. Lord, you are are in charge. You are guiding. You are controlling. You providentially led this whole event because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness to Abraham. And so, God, we thank you that you have steadfast love towards us, that we see it clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we can walk in confidence knowing that all the way 
our Savior leads us. Though we can ask for nothing else, we know for sure that you are guiding us. Thank you for that confidence, Lord, that hope. May we always walk with that, uh, with the peace of knowing that you are in control. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.